Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. And welcome again to another special bonus episode of the podcast. We are again talking about parishes this week. That's the place where we go to Mass on Sundays, where we get baptized, married, and buried, and where we go to CCD, Bible study, and the Friday night fish fry. America recently released a new groundbreaking documentary. You've probably heard us talk about it. It's called People of God, How Catholic Parish Life is Changing in the United States, which you can watch now at americamagazine.org slash people of God. And the film raised a lot of questions and issues that are just super fun and interesting to talk about and unpack a little bit. And so we're going to do that today with our colleagues, Father Jim McDermott and the narrator and director of the film, Sebastian Gomes. And I should say, Ashley McKinless is also here, my, my usual co-host. <laughs> so welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, it's a joy to be with you again. Thanks, Zach. You too. So I'll bring us into our topic today, which is parishes closing and or clustering and or being renewed or restored. <laughs> you have all these euphemisms about it around the country. But this is, I think, was on the minds of a lot of people when you pitch this film, Sebastian, right? Because when you talk about how parish life is changing, you know, depending on where you live, this is this is the first thing I think that comes to mind is the, the church is changing and that the church is closing. Do you remember, Zach, when I was I was working on like the opening line of the film and you were like, I think we need to talk about how the church might be dying. Like, I think we need to name that right away. So the opening line of the film is like, depending on where you live and what you've read, maybe you've heard the Catholic Church could be dying in the United States. And how do we deal with this? Right. So you're exactly right. I mean, a key key question for us to deal with was what do we make of all these churches that in, you know, historically very Catholic parts of the country uh, you know, sometimes in this, in the case of the of the parish that we profile in the film, a small town that had six different churches with six different priests w- with a population of eight thousand, right? And and now that's down to to four from six. And there's one parish priest who's kind of administrating, you know, a, a parish cluster. And the story that we're telling in the film is, you know, accompanying him as he visits a small church outside of the town that's being incorporated into his cluster. So he's in charge of three, and now he's going to be in charge of four, four different church communities. Which is not an uncommon experience in the country. And it's going to be getting more and more common, right? You've got you've seen some really like I would say bold initiatives in, in some dioceses to reorganize, to close, to cluster. I'm thinking in in Pittsburgh, which is not where you went for this project, they're planning to close 60% of their parishes by 2023. We've seen big things in Cincinnati and Chicago, kind of all over the place. And oftentimes like if you if you have like a new bishop who comes into a diocese and does like the x-ray of how the diocese is doing, sometimes they'll just be like, oh my my gosh, this is totally unsustainable. And that's where often we're seeing 
uh, a lot of those big changes or announcements that there's going to be like massive closures or whatever. Most people probably don't think about this unless the priest reminds them in his frequent appeals for money. But like a lot of these buildings are they're old. They're not efficient. They they cost a lot of money to keep the lights on, to keep the heating on, to to just sort of, you know, the roof starts to leak. They're, they're like huge money pits. Totally. And then when you you walk in and there's 20, 15 people at, at a mass, I mean, that's extreme, sure. But even then, if there's still like everybody's got a pew to themselves, you start to wonder, is this the most efficient use of our, our, our time, our resources, our resources in terms of buildings and also uh, ordained ministers, right? Because that's another another thing that's sort of bubbling up under the surface, too. Looking at it from an individual perspective, what did some of the parishioners that you talked to say? at a place where this is something that's happening. They're a little bit lethargic. Like, I feel like like nobody quite knows what to do. Like, in, in a lot of these towns, these smaller towns, which, you know, is kind of represented by this this parish that we went to in, in rural Wisconsin, people have only known church that one way. It's like how they were, it's where they were born into. Their family had always gone to this church. You know, they, there have been five or six generations of people who have been farming on the land around here. And like, this was always a part of their life. Uh, and now suddenly it's like all, there's no young people anymore. Like you turn around and you're like, wow, my hair is much grayer and my neighbor who I grew up with, you know, playing in the fields also has really gray hair. And oh, my gosh, what do we do now? One of the really interesting things that I think we found in this parish is that the priest, who's pretty young, actually, he's only been a priest, a diocesan priest for 15 years. He told us in his experience, he's never been responsible for fewer than two churches. Right. So the days of a diocesan priest kind of having a church and a parish that he's a part of and like administering, those days are gone. The the younger generations of priests are going to have at least two parishes under their care, if not more. He's got, he has four now. We'll give a quick shout out to Father Sember because I know he listens to the podcast. So thank yeah, you for, yeah, thank yeah, for listening does. for your yeah, work. Yeah, Father, Father Joel. And thanks. Thanks for helping us tell this story. It's not an easy story to tell, right? So, so props to Father Joel, the Diocese of Green Bay, who when we approached them about the project, they were like, okay, we'll, we'll go along here with you because they, they recognize that this is a broader trend and it's a story that has to be told. And, and Father Joel and the staff and the people there are just absolutely wonderful in Antigo, Wisconsin. And, and they're just trying to make it work. They're trying to be faithful. They're trying to, to, to grow. They're trying to be efficient. But it, it comes with some real hard questions and challenges. You know, uh, Pew recently came out with a study uh, on um, priest burnout and a lot of like you were saying, if a priest has to cover more than one parish for their entire career, I can imagine some burnout. So what did you hear from Father Semper about that? Not only that, but like you've got to cover all these parishes by yourself, right? Like the the old model used to be you'd have like one other priest that you lived with. There'd be like some kind of community. And because of the pre-shortage, like now there's there's one priest per four parishes in a lot of cases. And if he, he either lives alone or he lives with a super like ret- long gone retired priest. And so there's really like a, a lack of community, I think, too. I don't know. Like, Jim, you are someone that is a priest that lives in community. I don't know if you've ever like seen that lifestyle and it like what you've thought about. Well, it's funny. Last year, I wrote something about priest burnout because this is something that's been coming up quite a bit in recent years. And then some diocesan priest reached out to me and basically said, yeah, you're right. It's terrible. And it's only going to get worse. And nobody seems to care. The responsibilities are greater. The sort of connection to others is less because the administrative roles are greater. And there's no end in sight. And the bishops 
oftentimes undoubtedly recognize the problem, but don't seem to have any sense of how to find a solution. So even things like retirement, if, you know, when I was growing up, my dad retired at 62 and that was like, that was like a couple of years earlier than we thought he'd be able to. And it was great. He's 78 now and he's had this great like next life. These, these priests are lucky if they can retire at 70, 75, and yet they're doing this by themselves. It, it sort of breaks my heart. I, and the Jesuits were, to some extent, were protected from that because we live in community. And that sort of reinforces a sense of, I don't know, of, of uh, security, although it's coming for us as well. It's just in different ways. Right now, among diocesan priests, about 35% are retired. So the ones, even the ones that like do yeah, do that get to active, that age, that like, are active, to do so, ministry. Wow. Well, so percentage of diocesan priests active in ministry is sixty six percent. So when you hear, even if you see the declining number of priests in your diocese, keep in mind that that's only a you know a, a shrinking percentage of that number are people that are that are in active ministry. Yep. Well, one solution, I mean, uh, we can debate what kind of solution it is, but it comes out in the film is that Father Joel actually isn't alone. He does have an assistant priest, a parochial vicar, who's from Lahore, Pakistan, and he's there on a five-year stint. That's the way the, the Diocese of Green Bay operates, where they do a negotiation, in this case, with the Archdiocese of Lahore, which is a, a massive city of uh, 20 million people or whatever it is. But Father George Daniel is there to help Father Joel with the parish cluster in Antigo. And... That's just what he's doing. He, he misses home. He, he talked about the, the life of the community back in Lahore, that it's a very young, kind of vibrant, energetic, enthusiastic church. There's a lot of uh, persecution that, that the Christians are dealing with there. But he said there's a kind of a community spirit that is alive and energetic that he said is you know, not super common in a place like Anago and other small towns that are like aging, declining, with, this not, with not a lot of younger people in them. I was surprised to learn how the whole exchange of foreign priests works. I, I've experienced it, but I, I just assumed that, you know, those priests decided they wanted to spend some time maybe studying in the U.S., but there's like a whole system. <laughs> can you explain it? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I can speak uh, just for the Diocese of Green Bay because, the, you know, they, they talk to us about what their process is, but it's pretty transactional. I mean, it's like we need more priests. There are a lot more vocations coming from different parts of the global south. And so if a diocese in the global south can spare a priest or two to come and, and, and minister in the United States, you know, and that, that priest salary is covered, et cetera, uh, that's, that's the basic negotiation. And, and so, like I said, in Green Bay, they do it for five-year stints. Uh, and then, you know, Father George will head back to Lahore, Pakistan, I would imagine. But maybe, roughly but, how many? A third, a third, a third of the priests in the diocese of Green Bay are international priests. That's, I mean, that stat kind of blew me away. I mean, and I guess maybe people listening to this, they're going, they're nodding along and saying like, oh yeah, that's pretty common in my diocese too. Jim, I don't know if you've like seen people, because one of the things that comes up and I, you deal with it, I would say tactfully in the film, um, is that a lot of particularly older parishioners have a hard time understanding the accent of the, the foreign born priest and they and even they might want to but as you know hearing starts to go and it, it becomes a little more difficult yeah they're super grateful that they can like have sacraments, the sacraments are available sure. to them and they can still go to mass and everything like that but at the same time it's like there, there's clearly some cultural divides here right that need to be overcome and that's just not easy when you're dealing especially in some of the more rural parts of the country where people have 
you know, like they 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 haven't left for for long periods of their life, right? They might have been there their whole lives, and everybody has sort of looked like them and talked like them and thought like them, and then you have somebody who's like from a completely different world uh, coming in. It can it can be really challenging. And I would say actually it points to maybe a bigger issue that's not just about foreign-born clergy, but about sort of diocesan or pr- not diocesan, but priest training and ongoing formation. Like once. Once you get ordained in general, you kind of get to just do what you do. And there's there's never the challenge of like if you're if your language skills aren't great or your preaching skills aren't great or your confession skills aren't great, there's never anyone saying to you, well, you're gonna have to get some more training. Right. Just like, like professional a professional development <laughs> yes. opportunities. Yeah. Or just like in any other professional field, you yeah. have to do that. But in the priesthood, it doesn't it has not generally worked that way, which ends up meaning that these sorts of limitations that whether you're coming from somewhere another country or just your own personal limitations, they're never addressed. And that I think that becomes a bigger and bigger issues. Like I, I felt that the I love that story of that parish in Wisconsin. And part of it is because it seemed like everyone is doing their best to sort of overcome the issues before them. But those issues are not going away. And and it, you just feel like the, it, their goodwill is going is has gotten them a lot farther than I would have been able to do. I think on my own. But still, like, what are we doing to address these bigger questions? This just seems like we're like trying to plug holes in a in the Titanic. Yeah, and one of the stories that the film does bring out is the, I mean, the story of permanent deacons in, in the country. Which, in in my lifetime, the number of permanent deacons in the United States has doubled. I, I think in, in 1990 there are 9,000, and today there are 18,000. Right, so this like it's the sort of reverse trend on most of the graphs in the country. What did you find as a like a deacon's typical uh, ministry experience. Permanent deacons have a very particular set of responsibilities in terms of ministry. They assist at mass and they can do like weddings, baptisms, funerals. You know, they can administer the, the, the last rites, the anointing of the sick. They, and then they, they, they do acts of charity like distributing communion uh, and other acts of charity like in and around the community. What was really interesting in in Wisconsin is this parish that we went to, I should say parish cluster in Anago, Wisconsin. You have Father Joel, who's, who's leading it, Father George, who's assisting him from Lahore, Pakistan. And then you have Deacon Andy Burrs, who's a permanent deacon. But an interesting fact, there are more permanent deacons in the Diocese of Green Bay than there are active diocesan priests, mm-hmm. which is remarkable, right? Uh, but deacons are like traditionally older married men, like mature men, right? Like, so I don't know, like usually like in their 50s or a little bit older um, who, you know. Like go, Zach's age. Like <laughs> Zach's age. <laughs> not quite, not quite. <laughs> Any vocation director. But, on okay. the <laughs> and, they, and they go through some pretty like rigor, like there's pretty rigorous training. Like it's, it's, I think Andy told us it was like five years that he had to do this and it took like, like he he couldn't praise his wife enough for like giving him the time and the space and every and accompanying him through the process of of becoming a deacon um but it's an enormous help to the community because he's somebody who comes from the community he's a local but he's also married and raised kids and dealt with all of the the drama and the challenges of raising a family in this day and age. And so there's a level of connection that he has with other parishioners that is unique. We can't deny that because of that experience. Yeah. And it's certainly a matter of when, not if, the number of deacons is going to outstrip the number of priests sure. in, in, the, in, in the rest of the United States too. And and interestingly, like, like Deacon Andy said in the film, you know, I always kind of wanted to be a priest. 
but I liked girls too much. It's kind of this like fun <laughs> moment, right? And there are a lot of people who like think like that. So I mean, without advocating one solution or the other, I think that there are a lot of people who will resonate with that experience where he felt called to a spe- specific type of ministry. And he's very happy with the ministry that he's doing. He loves it. He enjoys it. And, uh, and the community loves and embraces him as well. But that was an option for him. So he did it. And now he's serving. For me, this was one of the maybe more hopeful segments of the film, which seems weird because there were a lot of empty pews. Question in my head is always like, how do we how do we grow the church? How do we reach young people? And that's not how Father Joel thought. And there's this one line from him that I wrote down because I loved it so much. He said, <clears throat> I think the church has been attached to being a successful institution and we were good at it. But it doesn't really change hearts. And I really just want to be content to serve Jesus without really caring about the numbers. And I just think that's like a really good mindset. And I'm not a priest. I don't have to deal with that. But I do care about the church as an institution and kind of like flipping the switch from like caring about numbers. Being like, okay, how can I serve Jesus in in my life? even if it doesn't mean like inviting my friend to sit with me at mass. <laughs> yeah, and I like it's hopeful also because they're it's like they're ripping the band-aid off in Green Bay, right? Which and you see that in other dioceses too. You can do that though when you face a crisis honestly. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you have to like you can have that level of d- detachment that you're talking about Ashley, which I think we all need to get to. Like there's some big wake-up calls in this film, and if you watch it and you're willing to be like I need to let go of what I think maybe a parish should be, a structure should be, or how it should be, and th- start thinking creatively and in new ways and faithfully, obviously, about what that, you know, how the church needs to move forward. But like that gut check is what we all need. But once you go there, new possibilities will emerge, right? Like God is not dead. Like the Holy Spirit is still with the church, right? Well, I think so many Catholics need their, their like ecclesiology expanded, right? Sure. Like we're all so attached to the building. That's where my that's where I got married. It's where my grandma got married, and like I want to empathize with that as as much as possible. But if I'm honest, like my my tolerance for it is almost gone, right? Like the church is not that building, right? And it's not that building with the empty pews. That is that sucking and the, the resources draft from the window. Yeah, it's it it, it isn't <laughs> right, and we need to be more comfortable with saying like, yeah, that's not a good use of that's not a good use of resources. That would be better spent either in the church's social ministry or diverting it to uh, a parish that that is thriving and growing and active. You know, as long as we we're still providing for the spiritual material care for for people, like it doesn't have to be in within the confines of those four walls. I mean, I, I'm I, I like this idea of letting go. I, I was very touched by that line in the film as well. Uh, I just want I want that to be not just on the parishioners and the local clergy who are on the ground having to deal with it. I want that letting go and reimagining to happen at every level of the church. And I feel like part of the trouble so far has been, although it seems like in Green Bay they've done a much better job that. That the lower levels, the sort of the on the ground, we're dealing with having to let go and reimagine. But when we get higher up, we just stop. And so questions again, like who who is ordained and 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 sort of how does that work, are never considered or are or are so slow. Like we're, we're talking now about when we're going to talk about having women deacons. When it's like we're way past that. I'm sorry, that conversation should have happened 20 years ago. And when will 
when will the people sort of with more sort of opportunity to make those changes have those conversations? Jim, can I introduce you to the Synod on Synodality? <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard. <laughs> Do we have Colleen? Is Colleen here? <laughs> oh, man. Well, um, I hope so. I hope that that it works like that. Now that we've solved everything, <laughs> uh, gonna gonna take us out of here again. This is a, a, a fascinating conversation to have. We hope that you're having these in your own communities. Um, and if you haven't yet, please go watch the film. Again, it's People of God: How Catholic Parish Life Is Changing in the United States. It's available to subscribers only at America, and you can become one for less than five dollars a month. And you can watch the film at americamagazine.org/peopleofgod. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.